coming to you from my apartment that doubles as a podcast recording studio. This is What Should I Do With My Life with Steph Horowitz. I'm Steph Horowitz. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is about how none of us know what we're doing. None of us have it figured out. No matter if you seem like you have it all together, you really don't, so be honest. We're going to talk about real stories from real people, their experiences, how they're figuring it out. From career pivots to being in the same industry for 40 years, we're going to hash this thing out so we can all find more meaning and passion in our work and day-to-days. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to the spectacular Erica Davis. From the court to corporate, get used to me saying that a bunch in this episode, Erica is a multi-talented marketing professional, leader, athlete, world traveler, and she's my colleague and good friend at SAP. Erica is currently a marketing design senior specialist for SAP customer experience. In this episode, Erica shares about her journey to become a professional international basketball player. She talks about how she transitioned from working the court to working a corporate job, and she discusses the power and lifelong impact of being on a high-achieving team. You're going to love her. I'm so excited. Here's Erica. You know that song? I'm so happy, Erica, that you're here today on What Should I Do With My Life? I'm really excited. I feel like we just dealt with a few technical difficulties and we're going strong now and we're just going to dive in. So... Side note for everyone listening, Erica and I work together, so this is really fun (laughs) and cool, and the first time I'm talking to someone who I work with, so this is awesome. So it's very exciting. Yes. So Erica, in one sentence, what do you do? Yeah, so I am the uh, marketing design senior specialist for SAP customer experience uh, product marketing. Yes, and that's how we know each other from the (laughs) SAPIO world. So taking a step back, I'm curious... I love asking, when you were growing up, did you have any big career ambitions or goals? To be incredibly honest, not really. I mainly was driven by wanting to learn and explore and try out and master everything. Um, And to be honest, I, I was always very envious of people like my mom who knew straight away what they wanted to do. Uh, my mom always knew she wanted to be a doctor. And actually my sister already, like she always knew that she wanted to work with animals. For me, I just thought, okay, things are so, there's so many interesting things out there. Um, there's so many things that I want to try. I I'd never really had a vision of where life would take me. So I just been along for the ride. Totally. And I'm similar to that. Um, obviously it resonates a lot with me, what you're saying. And I imagine a lot of people listening that, yeah, they're the type of people, they're the types of people who somehow know. And then there are a lot of us that just don't know. We're along for the ride. We're figuring it out as we go. Thinking about you and your story and your journey, basketball plays a very large role. Everyone, Erica is the coolest person ever. You will find out why (laughs) in a minute. So Erica, can you please share a bit about what role did basketball play growing up? Was this an aspiration? <laughs> no, and it's 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 very funny because first off, the whole reason why basketball is even a factor is because of the fact that I am quite tall. So both of my parents are tall, but my, my dad was uh, exceptionally tall. Um, he was six uh, five. I am actually six three, one ninety one centimeters for uh, all of the people using the metric <laughs> system out there. And, and yeah, I, and I always was tall, so I didn't have any growth spurs. I was just always tall. 
Because of that, basketball kind of haunted me from a very young age. And for the longest time, I specifically went out of my way to avoid it. So mm -hmm. growing up, I, you know, I was mostly focused on, on school and on learning and on you know, riding and playing outside and doing a bunch of different team sports. And I tried out basically every single sport that there was. Meanwhile, specifically ignored and tried to avoid basketball until I couldn't anymore, uh, which was in, in high school, which at that point, after already being hounded by um, my teachers um, and and the the coaches like in middle school begging me to to play for the teams, <laughs> once I was a, a freshman in high school, it was pretty much no longer an option to avoid it. So I thought, okay, fine, I will try it. You know, as fate would have it, I I fell in love with it, and I happened to also be good at it. And from from there, it ended up playing a, a fairly pivotal role in the rest of my educational career um, uh, or experiences, and then. Uh, uh, leading into my professional career. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting that you say that you were pushing away from it if it felt so obvious or that everyone was pushing it on you. So you wanted to rebel or reject <laughs> and you ended up actually falling in love with it. So, you know, what if you never tried it? It played such a big role. So you ended up playing college basketball at Yale and then you end up playing professional basketball in Europe, in Greece, France, Armenia, China, Belgium, stop being the coolest person ever. It's fine. How did this happen? It became a passion in high school and then you wanted to continue in, in college. Was the vision to be a professional ball player? No. And, and I was just motivated by here's something that I enjoy doing and I'm good at it and I want to be as good as it as, as I can. And from there, yeah, it, it was made known to me through my coaches, through my, my peers that, hey, you know, basketball can open certain doors for you. And that's really when I started to invest more into, okay, well, what what can I get out of it? Junior and seniors in, in, in high school, I, I played on summer league teams, played in tournaments in order to be seen by gouters, essentially with the goal of getting a scholarship. And at the same time, I always still put academics on a on a higher level than I considered sports. I, I was also doing uh, track and field. And at that point, uh, I was also, you know, being approached by by college coaches saying like, hey, well, do you want to throw shot put discus in, in college? You can also get a scholarship there. So I was looking at athletics as an, an opportunity to not have to pay full price for college. Yeah. But at the same time, I still had my my academic ambitions and I'd always kind of envisioned myself, you know, from a really young age, just going to the, the best school that I could possibly go to. So I tried to combine those, you know, those those two things. I always had the stretch goal of, okay, an Ivy League school or in, you know, an Ivy League equivalent school. When I think about it very, a, a little bit naive because it didn't occur to me until I was actually applying or looking to apply to schools, how many schools there were, yeah. <laughs> how many options there were, all the places, things like, no, I just had the idea like, okay, what are the, the, the best schools uh, in the States? Okay. They're like these eight. And then, you know, some, some other comparable ones. Yeah. I just kind of held on to that vision and incorporated it when I was being approached to, to go to schools to play sports. Um, and in the end that worked out very well for me because, um, you know, I, I went on official visits. In the end, I narrowed it down essentially to Yale, Duke, Princeton, and, and Harvard I, I'd also visited. But Casual. 
I know. I know. It's, 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 it sounds terrible. I also, I also visited. It sounds great. I love it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I also, I mean, I definitely had my my scholarship schools, and um, my my top scholarship school was actually the University of Delaware. And I, I distinctly remember telling my mom after I went on all my visits, and I really thought hard about it. I said to her, you know, my top schools are Yale and University of Delaware. If I go to University of Delaware, it'll be a full ride. You know, I can do the honors program. And my mom was like, "Come on now." do not have you know the, the the finances dictate where you want to go to school like if you want to go to university of delaware great but in in no way can you honestly believe that an honors program from a state school <laughs> would be the same as an ivy league degree having her support with that i applied to only yale <laughs> <laughs> early early decision nice. um which i realized you know was pretty bold <laughs> i love it but um but yeah it was it was great because i i got in and i knew already you know in in december of my senior year so i i didn't have to think about it that was it that it was done and i also really looked forward to the fact that 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 the coaches for both basketball and track they understood me and they knew that hey i'm not at the point yet where i'm ready to give up one for the other can we make it work i made it work in in high school can we make it work in college and they're like yeah sure if you want to try it so i ended up doing both basketball and track in college as well yeah and and i i just enjoyed it basically and again i didn't really think about anything professional until i was actually uh, approached by agents in my senior year of college. Because meanwhile, I was just like, oh yeah, college is ending. I probably should have focused more on, you know, internships and summer jobs and uh, job applications. So I was scrambling a bit to figure out the next step. And while I was doing that, it kind of just fell into my lap, the, the possibility that like, oh, well, you know, you could play overseas. And I thought, okay, well, since I don't know exactly what I want to do now, that might be you know a good break you know time to travel and explore and, and and figure out okay do i want to go to law school for instance or do i want to you know go into a, a particular profession so i thought okay i'll i'll try it out for for a season for a year um and i ended up doing it for six years <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's such a great story you said that, okay, you loved basketball, but it really was not a means, but a way to have the academic experience you wanted, that that academic experience was always top priority. And it makes total sense that, okay, you're not sure what to do. This is a very awesome once in a lifetime opportunity. You love the sport. Did you have any inklings at all? What kind of work you would want to go into before that opportunity fell into your lap? Was it just, I have absolutely no idea? Or did you have a few like, oh, Maybe I'll go into marketing here. <laughs> well, funnily enough, marketing really came in, you know, late in the game, I would say. At that point, you know, and ending high school, going through college, the vague ideas that I had were mainly driven by my mom being a doctor and my mom saying hey you know you you do all of these great things and you 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 have so many things that you could apply your talents to but um no matter what you choose it, it should be like a proper profession so you know growing up having all of these creative uh, habits and and hobbies mom was like that's fantastic but you know if you if you want to draw if you want to do art then you know you need to have a proper profession you're not going to be a starving artist you know i started to look into uh, architecture and 
Because my, my mom's dad was actually an architect. And then I realized that I, I it was too much math. <laughs> I don't yeah. like math. I've always been very interested in, in medicine. But again, it was like, nope, too much math. I don't want to be responsible for, <laughs> for needing to know all of that. Yeah, so I, I did try out different things as far as you know the grand professions. And because I, I love reading and I love writing and I love arguing, in the end, I kind of landed on, okay, well, law school might make sense. That, that was kind of the 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 vision for if I don't find something concrete, I would go back to law school. But then I also realized, okay, the market is super saturated. You know, I have brilliant friends who are getting rejected or deferred to law school. You know, the outlook's not all that great. And meanwhile, you know, do I really want to put myself in, in that kind of position? So what else can I do that is you know, ad advancing my my education and setting me setting me up for choosing what kind of career I want to have, and I it dawned on me, well, I can you know study business or or, or management, right? Because I didn't have that much um, really any studying in in those areas. So I thought, okay, I definitely want to go back to school. I I'll get my my master's um, or my MBA. You know, while I was playing basketball for for six years, I always had um, this paranoia in the back of my head. Like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm losing brain cells. Like, uh, I've, I've been so long out of school. I, I'm afraid of falling behind uh, of my peers who have, you know, real jobby jobs. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I, I ended up researching and, and finding a distance learning program that I felt really confident in that I could pursue while I was still playing and while I was still traveling. The last portion of my, my time playing basketball professionally, I had already started uh, studying for my master's uh, in international management. Erica, you're the busiest person I know, and you love. It sounds like you just love being busy. Uh, I don't know if I love it. It's just, it's just like inherent to my nature, I guess. <laughs> totally, absolutely. I feel like what you brought up when it comes to, oh, I'm nervous, I'm falling behind my peers while you're playing professional basketball in these countries, having this crazy once in a lifetime experience. I feel like it just shows how it is the human experience and it's so hard for us all to really be and tell me obviously if I'm wrong, but based on what you said, like really be happy and complete and present and feeling like this is it where you are and always feeling like you're missing out on something or you can't have everything in one place. And I think that's super interesting because you said you were doing this crazy. I mean, you were playing how many different countries, how many different teams were you playing for over six years? For uh, five different teams. So I, I spent two years in in Greece. Yeah, two years in Greece. And then um, and then I played in, in Lamouche, France, and then in Yerevan, Armenia, and then in Nanjing, China, and then, yeah, and then in Belgium. So, yep, five, five different teams. <laughs> so I just, I don't know, it just really stuck out to me that you had that kind of, and it's not a FOMO, but also just keeping up with other people and academically because so many would argue the opposite. Like I'm sitting here in front of the computer and you're traveling the world, playing a sport you love, having these crazy, amazing experiences. So that's wild. I wanna hear a bit about a day in the life. And I know it varies depending on <laughs> season, off season, what time of year it is, but I imagine it's quite grueling. So can you just share a bit about what a day looked like or different elements that made up the week? Yeah. So, well, f first off, I I really just wanted to to touch on you know what you said before because I absolutely agree with it, and it's a realization that 
you know, that I've had many times, but I think that it's just one of those lessons that you need to keep learning and you will keep learning for the, for the rest of your life. What you are going through, your perspective is so different from what the outside perspective is and, and vice versa. You know, you, you can look at how, you know, other people live and, and what their experiences are and formulate your, your judgments and your impressions. In the end, and unless they are informing you, you, you really can't know what it's really like. I've always had to remind myself that like, yeah, while I'm sitting here worrying about all the things that I'm doing wrong and trying to figure out what I, what I should be doing or how to do it better, you know, not being dissatisfied, but, but just feeling like I should be doing more or achieving more, you know, other people are looking at what I'm doing and they're like, you're doing fantastic. You know, that's really cool. You know, and it is kind of a, a grass is always greener on the other side thing. Um, but it, it's more importantly, just needing to, to check in with yourself and check in with others and realize that there's so much more so much more to consider than just your own like internalizations a typical day for me as a basketball player funnily enough of course my experience varied depending on like my teams and and my you know the different leagues and different countries of course but the the most basic thing is that it wasn't as busy as it might have seemed right basically core to all of the the teams that i played for every day i would have at least one practice, usually two. There would be, depending on what day of the week it was, three times a week weightlifting, um, usually two or three times a week a conditioning practice, usually two times a week I'd have an individual shooting practice or like position specific shooting practice. And by the way, um, I was a center forward. You know, mostly what I'm doing is closest to the basket, <laughs> rebounding and layups and blocking shots. Yeah, and then there would always be usually one game on the weekends, either a Saturday or Sunday. And then two of the teams that I played for were in FIBA Euro Cup. So then we, like during, during the Euro Cup tournament time, we would have games in different countries. So we'd have to travel for that. When I played in China, they have a, a condensed season. So instead of being six to eight months, it's really just about three to four months, which means that you're playing two games a week. You know, we were traveling more often, just of course the, the lifestyle and the culture being very different. We really were practicing every single day, twice a day, not so much emphasis on, on lifting, but still of course having like the additional shooting practices and whatnot. So I, I would think that out, out of all the places that I played, China probably was the, the busiest and the, 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 the most packed agenda day by day. Um, whereas in Greece, I have to say it was probably my favorite place to, to, to play and, and to live because I was busy and it was very exciting and new, but I also had so much time um, and really a way, like ways to connect with people that were absolutely outside of basketball. So, you know, I had my Greek friends and you know, we, we went out and we'd have coffee and we'd go to the beach and play pickup. And I still have, you know, uh, quite a few of those friends to, to this day, but it was nice because I had a life outside of basketball. That, that was what my life was like as a lower level basketball, professional basketball player. <laughs> Just a casual professional basketball player. Yeah, I was really wondering about that. Like, could you immerse yourself in the local culture? Could you have a life outside of basketball? Could you meet friends? Could you enjoy and travel around? So that was able to happen only in certain situations and places in Europe you know I had my own apartment I had my own car I could you know drive around I could travel on my own you know when I played in in Armenia it was a bit different just you know first time living you know in a former Soviet country so I still got to to travel and it still you know really got to be you know somewhat immersed in the culture 
and learn a lot. See Mount Ararat, which honestly was probably one of the most impactful sites for me. Learn learn about the the, the history and the and the culture. Um, and I got to do that in China as well. But there are, I think, more degrees of control and just more separation in the, the societal and, and cultural norms than, than the experiences that I had in, in Europe. And, and of course, you know, what I was used to living in the States. The most extreme being when I was in China, I didn't have, I had my own apartment. I stayed on the base where all of the athletes of like, you know, all different sports and, and, and ages stayed. My whole schedule the whole day was, was was arranged because it was the same thing that everyone else was doing. We ate at the cafeteria at the same time. We were traveling. We ate at a restaurant at the same time. Our coaches, you know, ordered all of our food. For for me, I just quickly fell in line. Right. It was really eye opening, and I meanwhile got to learn a lot from from my teammates and from just you know being in the country by myself in in a way. Um, and then you know meeting some expats uh, towards the end of the the season, and you know and getting to 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 travel. This was the major benefit for me even above okay getting to to be paid to play a sport that I like to play I, I really treasured being able to actually live in these totally different places and and you know not just to, to visit for a vacation but really to be immersed um, in these different environments and meeting these different people um, and it's had a really lasting impact on on me having that kind of lifestyle living that kind of life on the one hand it makes you adaptable, flexible. You're not really putting down roots. You're moving around a lot in every regard. At the same time, in contrast to flexible, adaptable, moving, there's this schedule, there's this discipline, there's this focus, there's this, the coach is ordering for me and this is the restaurant we're going to and we're all here together and we're all doing this and not having that kind of control over your day. So it's super interesting how it's kind of this contrast and I can only imagine that it, prepared you so much and gave you so much just in every aspect. When did you decide, okay, I'm done here. I'm ready for the next chapter in my life. And how did you choose the next chapter? Mainly wanted to make sure that I was ready to move on to the next step. Above everything else, I, I didn't want to be stagnant. And I, I, you know, I wanted to be proactive as, as much as possible. So I'd already begun studying. And yeah, my last season um, of playing basketball in Belgium, and I was already studying, I'd also decided, okay, you know, during the, the summer, um, once the season is over and I have time, like I, I do want to already start doing internships. So I, I did that. And uh, at the time I was already spending most of my time in Germany when I wasn't playing just because my, my mom was uh, stationed here at the time. My mom was also in the army <laughs> and um, yeah, my, my boyfriend at the time was German. So I was spending a lot of time here anyway. I had enough time to take off to look for internships. Ending my basketball career was not really my decision because I, I tore my Achilles. You know, I spent the year rehabbing and then I immediately tore it again. <laughs> so I tore it twice. That was pretty much like a done deal at that point. But I was also I was ready for it. I was ready to to move on and to feel more established, I should say, in the career that um, you know I would have for the rest of my life. Basketball felt like, um, and it was to a degree, a really fun and interesting detour. I'd already felt the the pressure 
um, inside myself of, you know, what is what is next? Am I prepared for it? And that's why I, I appreciated the degree that I, I chose to study just because above everything else, it was providing me with uh, a lot of like in-depth knowledge and practical skills for almost any kind of job or, or you know, in, in any kind of industry. And it allowed me to be able to say, okay, what, what am I good at? What have I done before basketball? And how can I continue to pursue that in a professional manner? And that is how you know, all of the creative things that I that I like to do as hobbies and, and as side jobs really came together as, okay, well, it seems like marketing and communications and, and events are things that, you know, I'm good at and that I enjoy. You know, I can apply everything that I've, I've done already to this. I started with that. I did a couple of internships in creative production, global marketing, I did, um, you know, I did some uh, marketing research, brand research. I focused my my studies um, at that point when I was wrapping up my degree in uh, marketing and communication. So that was my focus before I started my last internship and my my last master student job uh, at SAP. I had plans to to write my thesis on brand uh, authenticity, um, and then I ended up writing it on microservices and digital transformation. <laughs> <laughs> at least, you know. I, I appreciated the fact that studying for my master's also allowed me a kind of clean slate and and a lot more open doors as far as pivoting, as far as deciding you know what path I wanted to take, and not necessarily having to base that on what I had done before. You know, in in retrospect, I, I could have decided to to really go into you know any other kind of discipline. Hold the phone, Erica. You go from six years of traveling practices, playing nonstop you get injured and had to rehab and I'm sure physically as well as emotionally, that was very, very challenging. Today you're working for SAP, which is a very, very large corporation. To me, I'm thinking of you on the court. Oh, here, wait, I wrote this down. You went from the court to corporate. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And so were you just sitting on a computer all day from running around the basketball court all day? Like that's what it, feels like to me, like, wow, this is such a stark contrast to how you were living your life for six years. And now you're in an office in the corporate world. Can you tell a bit about that adjustment or what that felt like? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It, it was a, a big shift, but I do have to say that at least I could ease into it with my my internships and and my master's jobs, right? It, it you know coincidentally enough, my my very first internship and my my first real long term long term being six months experience in the corporate world was with Adidas. On one side, it was like okay, now I need to get used to you know, coming into the office and using my ID badge everywhere and sitting in my chair. It was a nice segue blending what I was used to and, you know, what I had to look forward to as far as life in the business world. Um, And from there, I've also just been fortunate to be in environments and be with people that value learning and value bringing different experiences and different perspectives to 
you know, what we're working on and what we're trying to achieve. So in the grand scheme of things, like, yeah, it was, it was difficult in the beginning, but so many other people are also going through the exact same things as me. Um, and also have, you know, the same kinds of hobbies and, and interests and experiences outside of, outside of work. Right. I guess in a similar note, talking about this kind of common ground that you can find at work and at the same time sharing your personal experiences at SAP, you have shared in the past about your experiences as a black woman in the tech industry. Um, you previously shared about a critical moment in your life that kind of affected the trajectory of your career. So I was wondering if you would talk a bit about that moment and the impact it had. Sure. Yeah. So first off, it's so weird for me in, in some ways to think about myself as um, you know, a black woman in, in tech because before SAP, I really didn't have any tech experience. So this is still, it feels somewhat new to me. It doesn't make it any less true, right? This particular moment that I was reflecting on it, it did have a big impact on me. It's something that I still think about, not because it was, you know, so, so dramatic or anything like this, but it, it just happened to be that you know, I was a junior in college and I was having a phone interview for an internship for a very prominent black magazine, entertainment and culture uh, in the States. And towards the end of the interview, which, you know, went quite well, you know, the, the hiring manager I was speaking to asked me, she's like, okay, well, don't take this the wrong way, but are you actually black? Um, and I was just thinking to myself, what, um, come again. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, well, it's just, you know, you don't sound black. Yeah. I mean, of course in the moment, you know, I just give a, give a polite response and kind of move on from it. But in my head, I was thinking, what is, what is up with this really? It, 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 it felt obviously it was offensive. I mean, any, anything that starts with like, you know, don't take offense, but yeah, it's going to be offensive, but it wasn't unique. It wasn't the first time that I've had comments made like this that are essentially either surprised that I speak so well <laughs> um, and that I'm so articulate or that are are condescending and, and essentially give the impression that I'm not black enough for whatever reason. This, this just happened to be a, a culmination of the two. And the funny kicker was that like, you know, the, the woman interviewing me, she was Asian. And I was just thinking in my head, I'm like, you're asking me <laughs> if I'm black, cause I don't sound black. Oh, and meanwhile, God. you're Asian. And I just thought like, there's this, yeah, it was like, there's so many things wrong with, uh, with the scenario. Uh, um, yeah. and yeah, but, but that's just why it, that really struck, struck me. And it, it, it stays with me just because, you know, it's really the, the most extreme, but it's not unique. We had a lot of discussions in this particular, um, tweet chat on the black experience in tech. And, and then also, you know, in the, in this live stream that I did with, with two influencers that was really re reflecting on, on these these insights, you know, we, we talked a lot about, you know, things like code switching, things like situational awareness and, and, uh, and, and cultural awareness, how as black people and as, you know, as so many people of color and, and minorities and underrepresented people in, in essentially every sphere that, that they have to operate in having to deal with situations like this in, in, in some ways, you know, you can't feel bad about it, right? But it, it is also, it, it's a bit of a shame to, 
to know that, okay, at the very least, not everyone has to deal with these. This is just kind of a fact of life for, for us. How do you reconcile it, right? And reconciling it, I think, at least at this level, is you know, bringing awareness to it, acknowledging it, right? And then and trying to see, trying to make it clear to, to others that like, hey, this exists, like, hey, this happens. It sounds really absurd, but it, it, it happens, right? And what can we do to, to not have it happen as often? And having yeah. the space through a work platform to share and talk about it. I feel like more and more companies are being more proactive and less passive like they have been you know obviously there's the talk and the walk when it comes to your work at SAP it's super dynamic you're working with product start startups the corporate side podcasting hosting there's a lot going on and I was thinking at the beginning of this chat you were saying that you want to be an expert and be as good as you can in something But what's sticking out to me is that you're doing so much. And I have this thing where I feel like I'm not an expert in anything because I dabble in a lot of different things. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what that looks like for you because you're doing so many different things. Do you feel like an expert in all these different things or do you need this dynamic kind of situation? Does that work best for you? This is the the key question, right? Or rather the, the, the choice, do you try to be like, you know, an expert in one particular thing or, you know, are you basically, uh, diluting that with, with <laughs> tabling and everything, as you put it, I would not really call myself an, an expert in anything, but that's, I'm a master of none. <laughs> I do also realize that that's probably, you know, just my, my own view, right? What is important to me is that what I do, I do it well, and I always am, you know, trying to improve. And that's probably why it's been so hard for me uh, over these thirty-six years to, you know, just choose one thing and and stick with it, you know, just because. I want to try everything. I want to learn everything. I want to be um, as good at everything that I, I can be as possible. I need that dynamic aspect. I need to to not have you know every day look the same. You know, to the degree that you know I'm I'm able to to apply my skills and my knowledge and what I what I can do well to those things. I'm gonna try it. Some might call that foolish or um, unfocused, maybe. That's definitely something that I'm continuing to work on, right? Putting a little bit more focus onto the things that are the the highest priority for me. Doing it in a way where I don't feel that I'm having to sacrifice anything and or not having to compromise on what I could potentially do just because you know, something else seems like a safer bet or because I've, I've done such and such the longest or, or gotten a certain level of achievement or recognition for doing that. I'm still at a point where I'm not willing to, yeah, I'm not willing to only concentrate on, you know, one or two different things. That might change. Who knows? It's getting really busy. It's getting, <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting a little bit crowded, right? But for the time being, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with how it's played out. I will keep doing everything that I can manage to do um, and, and trying and testing out everything that I, that I can get my hands on as, as long as possible. <laughs> I relate to a certain extent for sure. I definitely mm-hmm. realize that I'm more of a generalist than a specialist. And 
it's something I'm realizing recently, which is silly because looking back on just my life and the things I've done, it's obvious that I have many different interests and passions and I don't like just choosing one thing. I never did. What skills did you take from the court to the corporate world? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm just going to say that as much as I can, like from the court. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it too. um, Definitely the, the very obvious things of you know, time management and, you know, being disciplined and recognizing specific goals, identifying what needs to be done in order to achieve them, right? So those are pretty standard. Those are pretty obvious. For me, the more nuanced things that have impacted me and, and, and continue to, to shape, you know, how I go about life and, and work now are things like, being able to neutrally, like unbiasedly recognize my my faults and my flaws um, and see them as as areas for improvement and not in, you know, in the ways that we, we pay lip service to it. Or, you know, if you're having a job interview and they, you know, they ask you what, what's, what's, your, what's your biggest flaw or <laughs> something like this. Um, and, and you say like, oh, I work too hard. No, um, but really in, in, in a constructive way, really a bit differentiated from, from how we normally look at things that we do wrong or, you know, things that we, we, we should do better because in, in sports, it's no one's fault, right? Uh, it disappoints you maybe to, to know that like, Hey, your shooting percentage kind of sucks compared to blah, blah, blah. Right. But that's also something that you can work on, that you can practice at, that you can get better at. It's really helpful in general for people to be able to, to separate their achievement and their 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 skills what they do right and what they do wrong from from their emotions to a degree in order to be able to take you know to take a pragmatic look at it without judgment yeah and then to be proactive in identifying what they need to do and 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 going forward from there that's something that i from sports and from from basketball specifically you know there's also the the things like learning to work as a team these are these like light and fluffy things that you see in motivational clickbait articles but on a deeper level it's really You're a really team important. player sorry i just yes had to. exactly exactly i'm a team player so oh gosh it's it, it's so it, these things sorry, they, i had to so, of course of course they sound so bad out loud they're the kind of things that you like to to a degree i i honestly like i shy away from from saying anything like this just because it's so cliche but it's still so important because you recognize you know in in the real world there are a lot of people who don't know how to play on a team like they don't know how to reconcile individual ambitions responsibilities and accountability with a group dynamic and those things are very very important that has really shaped me for better or for worse for better because it's made it so that I don't, I've never felt like I'm losing something when I put the, the, the team or the group, even, you know, the, the community goals above my own. I don't feel like I'm losing. I don't feel like I'm compromising. It doesn't feel like, like a sacrifice without the experiences of specifically being on high achieving teams or being in a position where 
Like, yeah, it's fun, but it's also your job. Like, <laughs> you're also being paid for this. Like, if you're not doing it well, you can get fired. Ha having that, that kind of shade on it has really been most applicable for the, the, the professional environment. Those are the same stakes. If you don't do well, if you don't do what is expected of you, if you aren't putting the things that you're responsible for, for your company, for your employer, for, for your, your team or your organization above your own priorities and your own goals, and those things suffer because of that, you will suffer as well. That is the, the most applicable thing that I don't think most people recognize when they're referring to the, this concept of, of being a team player. It's not, of course, about being like totally unselfish or you know lying lying on the on the sword for for your team or or for your your company, but but rather it's just simply being able to understand the different dynamics and where you where you fit in, how you're contributing, and what the priorities are that that you can most you know have an impact on and drive. That it's totally outside of yourself. That is totally greater than than yourself. And then of course there's having to reconcile totally different personalities and, and totally different perspectives because a team, it's not 10 people that are a clone of the, <laughs> the same person, right? And a team is not necessarily like everybody you're buddy buddy with and, and that you enjoy being with. You're not friends necessarily with them. If you are, that's fantastic. That's the best uh, situation you can be in. In the end, there, there are so many differences and, and so many nuances that you you have to navigate and you have to just learn how to deal with it. That That is also a part of you know being a team player that I don't think gets as much recognition as it as it needs. Erica, what's on your bucket list? What is to come? What can we expect from you? Ugh, okay, so I decided this this year is aspirationally going to be my year of no. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a totally yes. different, different tone and, and probably, you know, very unexpected from everything that we've discussed leading up to this. But I've always really focused on how I can contribute and how I can make things better for everyone else in general. I'm just happy with the achievements, right? Like a lot of people, you know, the last uh, year or so has really put different things into perspective as far as realizing that there is a limit to what I can take on and what I can, I can manage and deliver to the level that I hold myself to. With that in mind, I realized that like, yes, I really need to step into my autonomy, you know, learn how to say no, um, that it's not something bad, it's not something negative, it's not a failure on my part. It's really a freedom that is then going to allow me to really concentrate and excel at the things that matter the most to me. There's only so much merit in being self-sacrificing and putting other people's needs and desires and asks of you uh, above your own. Putting myself and my goals and the things that I want to do at the forefront. Reconnecting with how I define myself, how I identify what I want to do and just like realigning that year of no year of no year of no i'm with you i very much identify with everything you just said so thank you for sharing that that's really that hits hard with me 
What words of wisdom, Erica, would you give to someone who's looking to figure out their life and doesn't know what to do? Ooh, so there's two things. You know, there's a mantra that I, I learned from the amazing Robin Roberts with watching her masterclass that, that really sticks with me. And it's make your mess your message. Like it really strikes me at my core, emphasizing the fact that, you know, we all have a message. We all have, you know, something that is true to us and true to what we believe and embody and what we want to express. But it's also fully acknowledging that it's not perfect. No one is perfect. Rather than indulging in what happens to be the, the prevalent trend of showing and emphasizing and, and embellishing the best parts of ourselves and the best parts of our, our lives, it's more important to, to, you know, just to be true to yourself, to be authentic to yourself embrace whatever it is that is you know your 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 core essence make that your message make that what what you what you stand behind and make that people see and appreciate you for the second thing is that especially in the times when i'm doubting myself you know or where where that imposter syndrome is is sneaking in taking a step back and looking at all of the things that are objective about what I am, what I do, what are other people saying about it? Like, wh what are the circumstances? Um, I might feel like I'm failing all the time. Like, you know, spoiler, I do. But I have to then remind myself, hey, I have, you know, colleagues who are coming to me for advice. I have random people on like LinkedIn, like reaching out, wanting my input. I'm, I'm contributing to things that people appreciate. I'm doing things that make a difference. And I have people around me who, who care about me, who go out of their way to, to express it. For me, it's always best to take my feelings and my impressions out of the equation and look at, you know, just the facts. What are the facts? And I think that everyone is able to do that and, and should keep that in mind that the, the when you look at the facts that that really will help to put you on the right course and to put you in the right frame of mind again feeling like you're speaking to my soul and i'm sure a lot of people feel just like us and i need to think more like that too the facts and that's really really good advice and i'm so happy this conversation is recorded <laughs> obviously that it'll be shared with everyone but for me on a personal level because a lot of things you're saying really resonate with me so i know that i'm taking a lot from this conversation Yay. erica thank you so much where can people follow you to see what you're up to your work yeah so i am most active on linkedin so you can look me up i'm Erica Davis at SAP Customer Experience. Secondly, most active on Twitter, BrainyChick27. Tune into anything going on with uh, SAP Customer Experience and SAP IO Foundry Munich. And pretty sure you'll see my presence there somehow. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll add all the links in the show notes so everyone can follow Erica and what she's doing. This was awesome. Thank you so much. I Thank feel like you. we could have many a coffee and really go deep into this. So this was so great. Thank you so much. Hi, all. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Erica Davis. I got so much from this conversation. 
Erica's experiences and words of wisdom from this episode have been super helpful to me, and she definitely touched on a lot of things that I myself am dealing with. Erica shared how during her experiences playing professional basketball abroad, she was thinking about falling behind her peers or falling behind people who had quote-unquote jobby jobs. This is such a relatable thing for so many of us who are looking at where others are, comparing ourselves, or worried about keeping up. It's something we all need to work on, myself included, to be where we are and feel good where we are. And I thought that it was really profound that Erica, who was doing something so awesome and meaningful and all the things, had that thought as well. For Erica, this is the year of no. Erica said that it's important for her and all of us to learn how to say no. It's not bad, you're not a failure if you say no, but saying no gives her and us the freedom to concentrate and excel and focus on the things that matter the most to us. As Erica said, there's only so much merit to being self-sacrificing and putting other people's needs ahead of your own. I love that one of Erica's pieces of advice was when you're feeling that imposter syndrome creeping in or feeling that doubt, look at the facts, take a step back, Try to objectively look at what you do, what you've done, how you're impacting people. That's it for now. 